Well, as always, church, it's good to be with you. If you're new or you're visiting, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the preaching pastors and elders here at the Austin Stone. We're glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, go and open up to Exodus chapter 20. If you have a Bible, go and open up to Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. Uh, It'll be on the screen behind me throughout the sermon. All the scriptures that we're going to reference will be there. But if you do, Exodus 20 will be there in just a second. We're actually continuing our series through the Ten Commandments. If you're new or visiting, we've been going through Exodus for a while now. We've been in the Ten Commandments, studying uh, studying them the last couple of weeks. And a brief refresher, what we've been studying in Exodus is God saving a people and then God preparing a people to be his. He saves Israel and he begins to teach them and instruct them, what does it mean to be God's people? And all of it is culminating with the Ten Commandments where God is teaching his people, I freed you so that you could worship me in these ways. The Ten Commandments is God saying, here's what true worship, here's what true freedom looks like. You want freedom, you want to worship me, look to my commandments, look to my word. And in the middle of the Ten Commandments, there's a shift. The first four commands are directed towards God. The first four commands are talking about how do you treat, how do you relate to, how do you interact with God. And the last six commands are talking about how do we interact with, how do we treat, how do we relate to other people. The first four commands are directed towards God, but these next six that we're going to start covering today are directed towards people. And with this shift of direction, we have to remember, though, that all of God's commands have to do with worshiping him. All of his commands have to do with worshiping him. We could easily make the mistake of thinking, okay, the first four commands are about worship, and the last six commands are about serving other people as if they're different. But actually what you find in the scriptures and in God's word and in life is that all of your life is worship. It's just a matter of where. It's a matter of who you're worshiping in every area of your life. Every area, every aspect, every relationship reflects and communicates something about who you think God is. Every relationship does that. Every interaction shows, who do I think God is? Does he have authority here? Is he more valuable than this person or that person or this thing or that thing? All of life is worship. And God wants all of your life. He is not satisfied for some of your heart some of the time. He wants everything. All of your life owes highest allegiance and highest affection to God. And you'll be most happy when that is the case. All of your life is worship. And God is going to teach us of what does it look like to worship him in our family? What does it look like to worship him in our sexuality? What does it mean to to worship him in our concern for human life, in our generosity, in our speech, in our contentment? In all these ways, as we obey God's word, we worship him. Obedience to God's word to love other people is as much worship as singing a song is. Singing a song is. Don't have this very segmented worldview where worship is this thing you do on Sunday morning and the rest of your life isn't. God is saying, here's how you worship me in the relationships that you have. So let's look at the word of God together, Exodus 20, verse 1 through 2. 1 through 2, we're going to read the preface to the Ten Commandments because I want you to remember what God has done. That it was, he saved us first, then he gives us commands. Exodus 20, 1 through 2. This is the word of God. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now to verse 12, the fifth commandment. 
He says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The fifth command is simply this. We worship God by honoring our mom and our dad. The first relationship God addresses as he's dealing with our relationship with other people is the family. And he's saying the dynamic he wants between children and parents and those who raise us in their stead is one where the parents are honored. Now, as soon as we hear this command, things begin to stir within us because of how profound and how deep the effect parents have on their children really is. As soon as we hear, honor your mom, honor your dad, we immediately begin to have things stir within us because your parents have affected you in great ways. For some of us, we hear this command, and it sounds like the easiest thing ever to do. Because we think, I love my mom, I love my dad, I couldn't have asked for better parents. And so we think, oh, this is an easy one for me to obey. This seems to come natural to you, so you think. But I want you to listen to the sermon today primarily because I want to make sure that you are honoring your parents in ways that honor God and not just in ways that honor you. I want you to make sure you're honoring your parents in a way that's faithful and worshiping of God and not according to your own subjective standards. And while your parents may have never wounded you or hurt you in significant ways, it doesn't mean they never will. And I want you to be prepared to know, how do I honor them in all of my life as I continue to age and grow with them? So for some of us, this command on the, on the surface looks easy. For others of us, this command does not feel easy. This command feels impossible. For others of us, this command feels maybe even malicious. Maybe even malicious. I, I know some, not all, but I know some of the heartbreaking stories of the real evil and real abuse that parents have done to people in this church, in this city, with their hands and with their voices. I mean, one of the clearest pictures of brokenness and evil in this world is that great atrocities and evil tend to find their way to the most vulnerable and the most weak among us. And God created children to be needy and utterly dependent on parents so that parents could nurture and protect and provide. But sin and humanity and corruption and humanity sees that as an opportunity for selfishness and perversion to run rampant. So when you hear this command, you hear this command and all of a sudden you, hear, you feel sadness, anger, maybe coldness because you have just cauterized that part of your heart and said, I'm just not going to deal with them. If that's you, can, let me just first say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have zero idea what you've been through, but I'm sorry. And secondly, let me say, please don't ignore God's word for you. Please don't, don't disregard his word because of the pain that you feel. I would ask you to seek clarity. What is God actually commanding you to do here? Because if you've believed in Jesus, the one who's speaking to you today is not me. It's not the Austin Stone. It's the one who saved you. And your heavenly father speaks words to you even sometimes that hurt a little bit because he wants freedom for you. He wants healing for you. That's what his word does. So if this is you, please don't just tune me out because I could never understand your situation. I'm not saying that I could. I'm saying that God's word is good and he is trustworthy and he has good for you in this word. 
So please, just do your best to listen and do your best to process this with people in this church because it's going to take the church to come alongside of you and begin to apply the word of God and help see what God wants for you. So for some of us, this is easy. For some of us, this feels impossible. And for probably most of us, this feels confusing. We don't know what the text means by, okay, honor my father and mother. So does that mean that I have to do everything they say the rest of my life? What does that mean when I'm older? What is this text actually asking me to do? We're going to get into all of that. But let me just say, let me make it clear, wherever you are on that spectrum, this is a word for you. This is a command for you. It's not something that we chalk up as, of course I do that. But it's a command that God's saying, I want you to have freedom. And here's how you find it. So first, why does God start with this command? Of all the commands you can start with, with relationships, why start with the family? Well, it's because God created the family. He created humanity to be built on and built off of the family unit. The building block of humanity back in Genesis 1 was the family unit. Look at Genesis 1.27. Don't turn there. You've probably heard this verse before, but I want you to listen to it and read it on the screen behind me, thinking about, okay, what does this say about the family? Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God could have filled the planet with his image any way he wanted He's infinite. There's an infinite number of ways he could have done this, but he chose to make the first man, first woman, and then give them the creative task of filling the earth with his image. And what you see is God designs this family, this family unit, to be the means by which he accomplishes his mission of filling the earth with his glory, with his image. The family is the means by which he wants to accomplish that. But what happened? Satanic temptation happened in the garden. And the family, this place where God's will was meant to be done, because of sin becomes the place where sin and pain is most intensely felt. Adam and Eve trust themselves instead of trusting God. And one of the first things to go is the family. So Adam and Eve, they sin and they feel shame as individuals. And then they have some conflict in their marriage. And Adam does not take, take responsibility for his marriage. He blames everything on Eve, everything on God. He's the first time he's ever blame shifted. And then Eve, for the first time, feels that sting of disapproval. And then they have children, and their oldest son murders their youngest son out of rivalry and envy and jealousy. See, when, when, when we miss out on God, when God is not the center of everything, everything begins to fall apart and erode, and death enters into the world, and it breaks everything. But the first thing to go is the family. Sin begins to erode and tear it apart, and where God's mission was supposed to be accomplished is now the place where sin is most uniquely and viscerally felt. And so God comes to Israel, and he saves them out of slavery, and through his law, do you know what God is doing? He's restoring what we lost in Eden. The law is actually God saying, let me get back what we lost, what you lost in Eden, I'm going to reestablish through my word. So he tells Israel, this new nation, this new people, if you want to last long in the land, the family has to be solid. The family has to be one where children honor their parents. He's talking about them 
the, the family as this building block of society. That's why God gives a promise with this command. Look at verse 12 again. He gives a promise with the command. He says, honor your father and your mother. Here's the promise. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This promise of living long in the land is a promise to the nation, not individuals. This is an important thing to note in this promise. It's a promise to the nation of Israel, not a promise to individuals. The promise is not, if you want to live to be 100, honor your parents. The promise is not, if you honor your parents, you will live a long life. There's plenty of people who have honored their parents and died young, relatively speaking. The promise is actually for the nation. We're very individualistic, so we tend to interpret Biblical text, as always, is applying directly to us as individuals, but this promise is for the nation of Israel. It's saying, if this nation is going to last long in the promised land, the family needs to be founded on this principle. Children honor parents. That's the promise in this text. Now, this command may have been originally for the nation of Israel, but this truth of honoring your mom and your dad carries throughout all of Scripture. It carries throughout all of Scripture. The rest of the Old Testament teaches this. Jesus himself teaches this command. Paul himself quotes this in Ephesians 6 verbatim. So it applies to you. It applies to me. It's not an Old Testament thing. It is applicable to the New Testament church because part of God restoring his people is restoring your idea of family. That's part of it. When God wants to restore your life, he doesn't just have in mind your theology. He has in mind all things, including your relationships and your family. Now, if we're going to obey this command, it applies to us. If we're going to obey this command, then we have to know what God means by the word honor. We have to know what he means by honor. God could have chosen a thousand different words. He could have said love your parents. He could have said trust your parents. He could have said admire your parents. He could have said enjoy your parents. But he said honor your parents. The word honor in Hebrew literally means weight. Give weight to your parents. Give significance to your parents. Treat them with serious consideration. Don't treat them flippantly or lightly. The idea of honor is this moral decision of the will and resolve to treat someone with respect. It's not an emotional one. It's not an emotional thing that God's talking about. It's a, it's a choice of the will. It's saying I'm going to treat them with respect whether I enjoy them or not. See, for us, it's hard for us to understand because in our context, we tend to think about relationships in terms of emotion. We think about them in terms of this idea of love, but we think about emotions with that, warmth and enjoyment. But God is saying those would be great to have with your parents, but the baseline of worship and faithfulness is honor. It's giving honor to your parents. And here's the thing, this honor extends to both parents based on their position, not circumstance. It's important to note, this honor that we give to our parents does not depend on circumstance, and it goes to both parents. It says, honor your father and your mother. They're both worthy of honor. And it says, honor them based on their position. So it's not based on, do you like them? It's not based on, do you talk a lot? It's not based on, do you still live with them? Do they still support you financially? Are they healthy? Are they sick? It's not based on circumstance. It's based on their position. And while circumstances may change, their position as mom and dad will not change. It will not change. Now, while circumstances don't change their position, it changes the way you express honor. As you grow and they grow, the way you express honor to your parents changes over time. 
as you get older, the way you express honor to them is going to look different. So I want to walk through four major ways you and I can honor our parents and obey this command. Before I do that, I want to make sure that you know when it comes to authorities in your life, just generally, God places authorities over you and over me. God's the one that does that, including parents. And we honor the authorities placed over us. Do you want to know why? Not because it's the American thing to do. Not because your parents have told you to. The reason we honor authorities is because God has told us to. And we do it out of trust for his word and his control over all things. Not only does God run the world and how I feel and his love for me, he runs the world so much so that whoever is over me in this world and authority, God has placed them there. So we honor them because we trust God. But here's the thing we don't do. As Christians, we never, we never obey authorities when they ask us to disobey God. We don't. They are not the highest authority, including your parents. If they ask us to disobey or disregard God's word, we respectfully and graciously say no. We obey God's word. No matter what an authority may say, no matter what an authority may threaten to do to us, we say we are faithful to God's word. And so when it comes to honoring parents, hear me really clearly, we honor them in as much as they don't ask us to contradict God's word. So long as they don't ask us to go directly against it, we honor them. So first, we, we honor them as kids by obeying. When we're young, when kids are young, they honor their parents primarily through obeying. In Ephesians 6, when Paul quotes this command, he, he prefaces it with, children should obey their parents. Now, there aren't many eight-year-olds in here. Not many of us are in this stage of life anymore. And so, but there are a lot of parents and a lot of future parents in this room. And so when you think about, okay, if you're a parent and your kids are young, especially when they're young, especially when they're still in the house with you, the primary way they're going to honor you is through obeying. One thing for you as a parent, you need to make sure that you're honorable. You need to fight to be a parent who's honorable. And when you think about your kids, you need to know that God is going to teach your children how to trust and obey him by having them trust and obey you. The way God's going to get them ready one day, hopefully by God's grace, to have them trust and obey him is by learning to trust and obey you. You are an authority in your children's lives and you need to know that and obedience should be expected. Obedience should be expected. Now, as soon as I say that, we have to know every culture, every generation gets this wrong in some form or fashion. So don't think I'm going, you know, back in the day, the 1950s were amazing. That's not what I'm saying. They, they had good things and bad things. And I'm also not saying that, that now our day and age that our parenting is superior No, there's good things and bad things. Every culture, every generation thinks that they got it right, but everyone has blind spots and everyone has weaknesses. So the the generations before us saw authority of parents as not concerned with how you feel, not concerned with the heart necessarily, just so long as you obey and do what you're told. But we've kind of responded in our generation said, okay, you can't ever express authority over your children. If you do, you will get shamed on Facebook immediately if you do. We have this mindset of you do what makes... Kids feel good, not what's best for them. And so we've swung the opposite direction. It doesn't mean both have pros and cons, but we need to have a biblical framework for parental authority. Especially if you're here and you're like, well, I don't have kids. Odds are you probably will. So you need to know when you think of when your kids are young and they're in the house with you, how do you express parental authority? Hey, I'm a young dad. I have three kids, five and under. 
This is not based off my wisdom and my experience. This is based off what God's word has said parents are supposed to do. And parental authority is exercised primarily in three ways. Instruction, service, and discipline. Instruction, service, and discipline. Parents use their authority to teach their kids about God. Parents use their authority not to put down their kids and disparage them. They use their authority to point out where God is in all of life. They use their authority to say, hey, did you know your favorite color, God made that? They use their authority to point out and say, you know how great it is that God forgives us even when we mess up? We begin to, we use our authority to say, no, this is who God is. Let me tell you about great he is. We use our authority to serve them. In the kingdom of God, when you have authority over anybody, that means you must sacrifice more than them. Think about Jesus. He has more authority than anybody, and he comes and says, I did not come to be served, I came to serve. Authority in the kingdom of God means you sacrifice more than those who you have authority over. So we, we seek to serve our kids and be compassionate towards their weaknesses, and we sacrifice more than we ask them to sacrifice. And lastly, we exercise authority through discipline. Because of our authority, we have a vantage point with our kids where we can see the difference between short-term and long-term joy. We can see the difference. Often our kids cannot understand the difference between, I know you want to eat candy all night, you're going to throw up in the morning. They can't understand that, okay? We can. We can. We can differentiate and say, I know you want to, but it's not what's best. Parents exercise authority by thinking, not just how do you feel and what do you want, but what's best for you. And kids primarily honor their parents through obeying. And as kids get older and turn into teenagers, they still honor by obeying, but what you have to add into this equation is respect. Because as kids get older, we, we've had high school seniors, as they get older, they've been developed, they have more thoughts and more opinions, and there's more dialogue, and you guys know how this goes, more disagreement. There's more arguments. And even still... You honor your parents by what teenagers have to learn. We have to teach them is how do you express desires in an honest but respectful way? And how do you still obey me when you, we disagree? Because kids and teenagers still honor parents by obeying. But here's what happens. You begin to grow and you shift out of that mode and, to, and you become a young adult. You're, you're maybe not at home anymore. And you're kind of shifting into adulthood and independence. So as kids honor by obeying, young adults honor by leaving. You honor by leaving, by getting out of the house. You honor by leaving, okay? Honor your parents. It's graduation weekend. You're getting a lot of elbows. You got a job yet? Like, that, that's time, okay? You honor your parents by leaving, and let me explain what I mean by that. By leaving, you're showing your parents that all their love and instruction and time and money and money and money poured into the money pit of your life is actually producing, thank the good Lord, fruit. It's finally producing something. When you leave and you are a respectful, joyful, mature, responsible, God-honoring man or woman, you are honoring their investment in your life. You're showing them hey, I understand that I could never pay you back for all the late nights that you stayed up and all the ways that you served me, but I'm going to honor you by leaving. By leaving. Because the point of parenting is not to keep kids dependent upon mom and dad forever. The point of parenting is to train them up so that one day they don't need mom and dad anymore. They depend on God. 
That's the point of parenting. So we have a lot of college students in our church. We have a lot of recent graduates. You need to be thinking, how do I honor my mom and dad? Like, like how do I honor them in a real way? No, I will guarantee you almost no one who is your age is thinking about that. But the word of God says you need to. So one real practical way, one is speaking highly of your parents, speaking respectfully of your parents, when it may be easy to talk bad about them, speaking highly of them. But another real practical way is you assuming more and more responsibility for your life. Assuming more and more responsibility. One of the ways you dis- we dishonor parents when we're in this young adult stage is by always making your parents do the heavy lifting. By always telling them having to force responsibility onto you. One of the ways you can honor them is by asking for more responsibility. That's why when you go to college, you study hard. Seniors, you study hard, okay? This is why you go get a job, why you graduate, why you pay your bills. When you do all these things, you're honoring them and saying, your investment into my life was not null and void. You honor them. Nothing makes a parent happier or more proud to hear about their son, their daughter, being everything they wanted them to be and they weren't even around. There there are a few things that will make a parent more proud than hearing stories about how they didn't tell their kids what to do at all. They just naturally figured it out. It is, that speaks to them saying, okay, God used my parenting in some way. Something came of that. So young adults, honor your parents by leaving. So as kids, we honor by obeying. Young adults, we honor by leaving. And lastly, as adults, which is most of us in this room, we honor our parents by caring. By caring. Most of us in this room are adults, and we're independent from our mom and our dad. And now we're in the season of, what does it mean for me to honor my mother and my father? What does it look like for me to actually do this? And this is actually the the longest stage of your life with your parents. It's the longest stage of your life with your parents is you as an adult and them as an adult. And the way you you honor them is just caring about them. Just caring about them. That you need to make sure that their relationship in your life is not something you totally forget about. That you always make them call you instead of you actually picking up the phone to call them. You try your best to make it a point to celebrate special occasions and traditions with them. That even though you may not live near each other, even though you may interact with them much less frequently, you're still thinking their their relationship holds a great weight in your life. So as we are independent, as we get away from our parents, we have to make sure and say, but I still want to treat them with honor and respect and dignity as the only people in my life who are my parents. They get a special honor because no one else has their role. No matter what our relationship is like, no matter what, where they are, they still have a special role in our lives. So we care for them as they grow, and as we grow old, and they grow old, we grow old together. We care for them, both emotionally and interpersonally and relationally, but also we cannot overlook caring for our parents physically and financially. If I skipped over this, I would do a disservice to what is implied in this command. And I know it's implied in this command because in Matthew 15, we're not going to turn there, 1 through 9, Jesus quotes this text. And Jesus, God in the flesh, when he quotes this text, do you know what he uses this text to do to rebuke the Pharisees? He uses this text to rebuke the Pharisees for not providing financially for their aging parents. It's unbelievable to look at. 
That the one time Jesus quotes this text is to rebuke religious leaders who had said, well, the money I was going to give to my parents as they're getting older is actually going to go towards God. And Jesus says, you do not understand the law at all. And he calls them hypocrites because they don't take care financially of their aging parents. It is not the moral obligation of the state to take care of our aging parents. It's ours. God just put it on you. Now, you can use a variety of means to accomplish this. Don't hear me say whatever you think I'm saying. Just hear that it's ultimately on us, on the children, to ensure that their parents are taken care of financially and physically. In the same way that we depended on them when we were young, they're going to depend on us more and more as they age. So throughout every season of life, we honor our parents, but it's going to express itself in different ways, whether it's obeying or leaving or caring. But through every season of life, through every season of life, one of the hardest things to do, but maybe the most God-honoring thing to do, is to forgive your parents. Is to forgive your parents. No matter the parent, every single one of them is going to wound and hurt their child at some point in time. Every single one of them is going to hurt and wound their child at some point in time. Even the so-called best parents are going to need forgiveness from their children. And this is where, this is the point where if you've been hurt deeply, or if you've been abused and had real evil from your parents in your life, this is, you have a complicated history with your parents, this is where we're going to start finding our hearts saying, no, I can't go that far with you. Like, this is where you'll find yourself feeling like, okay, maybe, maybe I could honor them, maybe, but forgiving them, forgiving them for that, I, I cannot imagine what that even looks like. And while that's an understandable response to hurt and to pain, I want you to know that when the Bible talks about people who have received forgiveness for their sin from God, one of the attributes is that they begin to forgive others who have sinned against them. That people who have truly, it's hit them, I'm forgiven, begin to forgive those who have wronged them. Don't turn there, Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The reason we forgive anyone of anything is because we have received total and absolute forgiveness from God. That's the basis of any forgiveness in this life. It's God's work through Jesus. Because as we begin to contemplate just how great and just how grievous our sin was against God and that Jesus' death paid for everything we did to him and all the ways we belittled him and all the ways we left him and all the ways we forsook him, Jesus paid for, when that begins to hit us, we're going to begin to forgive other people. It says that we're going to mimic the way God has forgiven us for our sin against him, we're going to mimic that forgiveness in how we treat and forgive the sins of our parents against us. Now let me clarify what this means and does not mean. Because if, if you have a very complicated history, you may be thinking, well, do you mean this or that? Let me walk through a couple of things of what this means and doesn't mean. 
So does forgiveness mean, does forgiveness mean that what they did was no big deal? Absolutely not. Does forgiveness mean that what was done to you was no big deal? Absolutely not. Forgiveness requires the death of the Son of God. For forgiveness to happen with God and between one another, the only way it happens is if Jesus dies. Forgiveness does not minimize evil. It doesn't minimize evil. It maximizes the greatness of the cross of Jesus Christ. It doesn't minimize what happened. It just maximizes and says, but look how great the cross is to pay for such a thing. To give power to forgive the cross, Jesus' death shows just how evil sin is and that the only way for forgiveness to happen is the Son of God had to die. It does not minimize what happened in any form, in any fashion. Okay? Does forgiveness mean that you have to be close with your parents? Does it mean you need to be best friends and close? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Forgiveness just means that you are going to treat them and pray for them in the hopes that God would do good to them. Here's a really good way for you to diagnose if you've truly forgiven somebody. Do I want God to do good to them? Could I pray that God would bless them and want that to happen? It doesn't mean you need to be best friends. It doesn't mean you need to be super close. But forgiveness does mean I do want God to do good to them. Well, does forgiveness, when we forgive someone, does it come all at once? Can we just do it in an instant? It depends. It depends. Sometimes God will give you such faith that in a moment, in a moment, you're just overwhelmed by God's forgiveness of you and you're able, your heart softened, you're able to forgive them of everything that's happened in a moment. And that can happen. And that does happen. But can I just be really honest? Even though it's a story that's told a lot, it's very often not the norm. The norm, typically, the way God does this is he heals us slowly. Especially wounds caused by a parent, God heals us slowly. God slowly roots us down in his grace and his forgiveness more and more, and we're able to forgive in deeper and more significant ways as we grow and as we heal and as we age. So will it come all in a moment? Maybe. But more often than not, you'll be forgiving and re-forgiving for a long time to come as you understand the gospel for you. And lastly, does forgiveness mean that I'm completely healed from what happened? Does forgiveness mean I'm completely healed from what happened? No. No. Forgiveness means that you're free from bitterness, but there are certain wounds in this life that will only be fully healed at the resurrection. You have to know that. Don't have this triumphant mentality of Christianity that in this life is when all the blessings come and in this life is when all healing happens. Anyone who says that is lying to you. The full healing that's going, that we're all aching and longing for is not coming until we're resurrected from the dead to be with God forever. The hope of the New Testament is not This life is going to be awesome, just keep getting more awesome. The hope of the New Testament, Paul is always saying, 
get home, get home, make it, persevere, endure. Because when you get home, every tear is wiped away and all wounds are healed. So you can forgive somebody and still have real hurt and real wounds. Forgiveness frees you from bitterness, but resurrection's still coming. So honoring our parents in all of these ways, if you really think about it, is impossible for us to do on our own. I mean, think about all the ways you've already failed to do this. All the ways we failed to forgive our parents, all the ways we failed to honor our parents. And when you think about it, the only way we're going to be able to obey this command is if God somehow empowers us to. Because on our own, we haven't been able to. And here's how God empowers you to obey this command. By being the perfect father you always wanted through the perfect son you could never be. By being the perfect father you always wanted through the perfect child you could never be. The reason God made families to begin with, the reason he made family in Genesis 1, you want to know why? Because he was going to reflect the Trinity. The whole point of the family was to, to reflect the divine family in God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. God makes the family to be some sort of small reflection of the divine family in the Trinity. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Maybe if you're new to church, you've never thought about this. But the parent you are looking for is actually God the Father. The parent you're really after is God the Father. Do you know, we look to parents, we want them to be this person who always approves of us. Because we know our parents have known us in every area of our life. They've seen us in our worst moments, our most vulnerable moments, and they were there. We want so desperately for them to approve of us. We, we want these parents who, no matter the situation, when we need counsel, we need wisdom, and we can't see clearly, they're able always to point us in the right direction. They're always able to see clearly. We want these parents who are able to provide for us and take care of us no matter what. We want these parents that we admire and we respect, and there's no one we think more highly of than them, and they just cheer us on in life, and they help us live our life as if we have nothing to prove because they're in our corner. You want those things so Badly, And the best parent in this life is at best a faint shadow of that. The best parent in this life will have moments of that. Maybe extended moments of that. But the reason that we all fail is because we're actually longing for God the Father who can do all those things easily. For God the Father who actually is this one who will approve of you, who knows you, who knows you better than anybody and he can approve of you. The one who provides for you, the one who has counsel in every situation, the one you're after is God the Father. And yet we've failed him, we've disobeyed him, we haven't honored his word to honor our parents. That's why the only way for him to be our father, the one we're after, is through the perfect son who is the child we could never be. That's why he had to send Jesus to be the perfect child to his earthly parents. Think about how perfect Jesus is for a second. We walk through all different ways we honor parents. You can look in the Gospels and see Jesus do all these perfectly. When Jesus is 12 years old, he's still living with his parents. He's in the temple, and he's teaching these religious leaders, and these religious leaders are in awe of what this 12-year-old knows. And then Mary and Joseph are frantic. They couldn't find him for two days. And then they show up, and they go, Jesus, it's time to go home. Jesus could have said, did you know that I'm God? I don't listen to you. Like did, like, did you know that? Side note, like, I don't have to. 
What's incredible in the text in Luke 2, it says Jesus submitted to them and went home. If anyone had the right to tell their parents, you don't have authority over me, Jesus obeyed perfectly. He obeyed his parents and went home to live in obscurity for the next 18 years. He obeyed his parents perfectly in ways that we failed. Then Jesus, what does he do as a young adult? He leaves, starts his own ministry, and then as an adult, he cares for his parents till his dying breath. It is incredible to think about one of the last seven things that Jesus said on the cross was to make sure his disciple John took care of his mom after he left. Think about how incredible it is. Jesus said seven things on the cross, and one of them is to obey this command. One of them was saying, John, I'm about to leave. You better take care of my mom as she gets old physically and financially. You take care of her. Jesus obeys this everywhere we fail, and Jesus dies for all the ways we fail and all the wounds given to us. And Jesus now is this hope for failing parents and children alike. And Jesus gives you the family you're after. (laughs) Jesus gives you the family you're after, the dad you're after, the older brother you're after, the counselor you're after. God becomes all of that for us. I love the way Jesus talks about this in John 14. Jesus answered him, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him, and I love this last phrase, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus says, when you love me, you get the family you wanted. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they make their home with you. You get to be a part of that family now that doesn't fade, that doesn't disappoint And so now we can honor our parents, our earthly parents, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. Because when we do that, you live in light of what's most true about you. And that your parents do not ultimately define you. Your Father in Heaven does. They don't ultimately define you. You don't have to live your life trying to prove them wrong or trying to get their approval. You already have the approval of God the Father. You already have a destiny given to you by God the Father. We honor our parents because we remind ourselves, this is a family I'm only a part of for a temporary period of time. Because of Jesus, God has made his home with me. And now I have the father I've always wanted. So we honor mom and we honor dad because we want to worship our heavenly father and honor him by obeying his word. Let's pray together. Father, you alone know where freedom is. You alone know where healing is. And God, I would ask that you would give us faith right now to not hear your word, see clearly what it means to obey, and to put off the ways we know we need to obey your word. God, remind us that the one speaking to us is the one who sent his son for us. Remind us that you're speaking to us and you're the one who lost your own son for us. The son was crushed so we wouldn't have to be. Jesus, you fulfilled everything we failed to do. And now you give us your word and you say, 
trust me, this is where life is. I know your situation is complicated. I know there's wounds. I know there's history. I know there's a past. I know. But trust me, I'm your heavenly Father. God, remind us that you're our Father. Would you remind us that we don't have to live as orphans trying to find an identity here. That we don't have to fret when our parents disappoint us. That we don't have to fret when our parents let us down. But God, we can be gracious and kind because they don't ultimately define us. God, you do. Father, you do. So God, make us a people who want to obey your word in every nook and every cranny of our lives because we want to show what life is like and the freedom found when you have God as your father and Jesus Christ as your older brother and the Holy Spirit as your counselor. God, you have made your home with us. God, you have become the family we have always longed for. So God, use this word to restore and redeem the broken families in this room. God, would you bring great mercy and forgiveness to places and relationships that are cold and tense and lifeless? God, would we be a people known for our vulnerability and our boldness to start the conversation, to reach out, that we'd be known as bridge builders, as the ones who practice mercy and don't just talk about it? And make us people who you use to bring healing. God, thank you for being with us through every single season. Jesus, thank you for living as a child and young adult and adult in every way that we do. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, let's stand, let's sing together.